Discipleship to Jesus ought to make us think a little bit. It doesn't make us think it's not real or genuine. Past couple weeks we've pointed out from these texts in Luke chapter 10 about life of discipleship. So much of what passes for Christian discipleship following Jesus in our day is really just smug, self-satisfied Christianity that doesn't get us anywhere. And I love these texts in Luke 10 and how they build on one another. Last week, remember last week we talked about the Good Samaritan? And the week before that, we talked about how Jesus sent people and the actions out there and not in here. And you know better if you come to church than if you don't. Don't think that you can just check off the list that you've been there, you've done that, you're good, you're self-satisfied, you've done your duty. It's not like that, right? Think about the things that we do every week. The offering plate goes by every week. How, have you ever been to church and not seen an offering plate? Raise your hand. Right? It's just a part of the DNA of the church. Think about your giving to the church. Like, you put your few bucks in there, you're doing God a favor. Right? Like you're tipping Jesus for a job well done. And you're going to save the world through your tithe. Is that your perspective that if you put a little money in, you're a little good? If you put medium money in, you're medium good. If you put in the big bucks, man, you're mega good. Like you're doing God a favor and he's going to save the world through your generosity. Is that how you view the golden plate? Or is it just another opportunity in to partner with God in what he's doing. Look, he, God doesn't need your money. <laughs> God's going to do what God's going to do with or without you. Man, we got to let go of these things we think about discipleship. Look, last week I said, Going to church doesn't make you any better than not going to church. But look at you. Here you all are. You came back. And it's okay if you let go of some of these crusty paradigms of discipleship that you've been hanging on to. It's not about, I just, I want you to experience really and truly the adventure that it is to follow Jesus. In the beginning portions of Luke chapter 10, we determined that we are a sent people. We ought to be doing stuff out there. We're on a mission from God, right? But then as we got about halfway through chapter 10, we recognized that maybe the mission's not the mission after all, and maybe as we pass by on the other side, we miss what God is doing directly under our nose through the people in our lives, the relationships that we have, the strangers that we encounter 
We're so busy on a mission from God that we miss what's happening right in front of us. So we're a sent people, one. We're an attentive people, two. We better be paying attention to what's going on right in front of us. Number three, we are a chill people. Like Santa Cruz Christians. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 records another, li- another day in the life episode with Jesus and his friends. Luke 10, 38 says, Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And may the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. So you're Martha or you're Mary. Who do you identify with? This episode in the experience of Jesus and his friends offers us tremendous insight into the life of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus and it challenges our sensibilities on a number of levels. I would say first and foremost on the level of gender. Let's take a look at this. It's not a story about Peter, James, and John, is it? It's a story about Mary and Martha. Well, we all know the 12 disciples were men, and we all know that Discipleship is the business of men, right? And that the women are free to think about whatever they happen to overhear from the kitchen. Right? Hmm. Some of you were given this paradigm of Christian spirituality that this is men's business and not for the women. And, and, and the Martha mentality sort of reinforces that, right? That we have to be busy, that we have to be hospitable, that we have to be putting on an event in order to matter. And it might mean that our own discipleship to Jesus becomes diminished as a consequence of that. That even if it's not gender specific, we've come to recognize that 
Some people are more devout than others. Some people are merry. Some people are mystics who just kind of sit and chill at Jesus' feet. And the rest of us are here to accommodate them, right? To feed them, to house them, to plan for and budget around and program in order that they can do their thing. It's a two-tier system of spirituality. And in some faith traditions, it is all about gender. That the women exist to serve the men. Right? We love that, don't we? No, because we've graduated beyond that. That's a part of the reason that you're here. You understand that that distinction of gender is not valid. It's not that men are called by God to do something special and that women are here in order to facilitate that. We know and understand that uh, gender doesn't separate us in terms of discipleship. So Jesus had followers, he had disciples, he had friends who were women, and this is a story about a couple of them. And it's a story about the way in which we approach Jesus. It was Martha's house. Martha was probably an oldest child, right? Martha's the responsible one. Martha pays the bills. Martha cooks. Martha cleans. And Mary's probably what? Mary's a slacker, right? Mary's in Santa Cruz, hanging out. And Martha's making it happen. And, and Martha has this sort of self-righteous view of things. Martha thinks Jesus will be on her side, right? Hey, Jesus, I'm working so hard to facilitate your visit to our village. I've been cooking, I've been cleaning, I've been making arrangements. Mary over here, tell her to get in the game. Tell her to do something. And what Jesus, rather than getting, uh, getting pulled into this sibling rivalry, Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better thing. What does that mean for us in terms of our own spirituality? That Jesus not only says one is better than the other, he reverses them. And the thing that we typically think of as being better is not so good. Being responsible. Taking care of stuff. Facilitating. Doing. You and I, like Martha, tend to equate Christian spirituality with doing. And Jesus flips that upside down. And he said, it's not about what you do for me. It's about spending time with me. It's about having the capacity spiritually to be able to chill. To relax. To let go. 
But as we've seen the past few weeks, that's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? There's not many of us for whom this merry paradigm of spirituality is just natural and intuitive. It assaults our sensibilities because we think, don't just sit there, do something. And Jesus says, don't just do something, sit there. That's what he wants from us. To sit with him, to relax, to take it down a notch. But for us, that doesn't feel, what, productive enough. Because we've developed and we've bought into this sort of checklist spirituality. If I do this, if I do that, if I do the other, right? Think about the things. Come to church, check. Put something in the offering plate, check. Serve, check. Do this, check. Do that, check. Why? Because then we can feel a sense of satisfaction with ourselves. But if we just take the time to let go of that, what does that mean? It's like letting go of control, right? How do you measure contemplative spirituality? What Mary demonstrates for us here. How do you measure just sitting with Jesus and listening to him and learning from him? It means we have to take things down at least a couple of notches, right? In terms of our frenetic spirituality. Go, 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 do, do, do. Conquer the world. Win people for Christ. Build the church. Do this, do that. What if there's nothing to do? Are you kidding me? We're sent by Jesus. That's something we got to be out there doing. Are you kidding me? In being sent by Jesus, we have to recognize there might be a stranger in the ditch that we can help. Are you kidding me? there might be nothing at all to do. Think about that. Like this. Always at the end of the service. Oh, here's one thing you can do. Here's one step you can take. We hear this stuff. It's so overwhelming. How am I going to change? You've been coming to church, say, 700 Sundays in your life. You've been in church and you've heard this and that and do this and do that and do the other. And, and what if at the end of the day, this is your assignment? Nothing! This totally let you off the hook. There's not a thing I want you to do. Because what Mary recognized is that who she was with Jesus was a-okay. Think about that in terms of our work-oriented discipleship to Jesus. I want to do this in order to feel better about myself. I want to do this in order to prove myself to him 
My friends, there's nothing to prove. You're good enough just as you are. I've used this analogy before. I hope you had the experience of a, of a grandparent in your life to whom you could go and just crawl up on their lap. And the only thing that mattered was that you were who you are. You're absolutely loved and embraced and you're, you're a-okay. What do you have to prove to grandma to make her love you? Nada, right? You're loved just because you're hers. That's it, that's all. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to demonstrate your worthiness. All you have to do is be, and that's what Mary realized. And that's why when Martha came to Jesus and made her case, get slacker girl in the game, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Martha. Right? Only one thing matters. Be with me. So, what do we do with this? In terms of priority. Recognize, my friend, who you are. What your birthright is. And recognize that Jesus wants you. Not what you can do for him. Think about how freeing that would be in terms of our spiritual development. Think of what it would be like to move out from under the umbrella of, of, of a works discipleship. It says that you have to do this or do that. You're not good enough. You're never good enough. And then read that into a passage like Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Weary and burdened under the yoke of works discipleship. Do this, do that, do the other thing. Come to me, it's a liberating experience. Come to me, sit with me, I will give you rest. Jesus longs to restore us, to breathe into us new life. It's okay to be just who you are. Think of it in terms of you have... Nothing to prove and nothing to lose. 
I hope this makes you a little bit uncomfortable. You notice the pause? You're waiting, right? You're, yeah, yeah. You're waiting for the, Jesus says this, but here's what you really got to do. Because all your life you've been told that there's something to do. All of your life you've been browbeaten. Do this. Do that. Do it more. Do it better. Do it this way. Do it that way. And Jesus says, just don't do it. Sit with me. Learn from me. Not only has that been our understanding of Christian discipleship, that's just a part of our DNA as citizens, right, of the United States, that rewards hard work and effort and teaches us not to be a slacker, right? Work hard and you'll be rewarded. And do you see the way that that seeps into our understanding of Christian spirituality? Christianity was not born in the U.S., right? It only took on a certain shape when it came to the U.S. Christian spirituality is not culture-bound, is the way that you follow Jesus culture-bound? Are you more of an American or more of a disciple of Jesus? Think about it in terms of our own personal pathology without getting too psychological on you. I would say there's a reason that we behave the way that we do, right? And we understand sort of scientifically and psychologically, that we're formed pretty early on in life by the families in which we grew up. And that formation has a lot to do with the way that we live most of our lives. So we're doing things probably for reasons we don't even understand. In the unconscious, there's stuff going on. We're working for the approval of the significant people early in our lives, right? So maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's what's formed our spirituality, that we are projecting onto our relationship with Christ other formative relationships from early on in our lives. And we're working those out under the guise of spirituality. That's why we feel better about the fact that we can do this and do that and check it off in order to feel a sense of self-satisfaction to quiet those voices, right? Maybe a lot of what passes for Christian spirituality isn't Discipleship to Jesus at all, but something else entirely. 
Because if we got it, if we really, 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 really got it, we'd be more comfortable with this Mary stuff. And there are a handful of mystics, right? God's gift to the church. People who intuitively are in tune with this birthright sense and know that the only thing that matters is to sit with Jesus and to listen to him. And then there's the rest of us struggling, struggling to come to terms with that. Just sit with me. Relax in my presence. Just know that you're good enough already. There's nothing you have to prove to me nothing to lose. Nothing's at stake. I love you. I want to be with you. Are you willing to quiet the competing voices? Slow down long enough. To hear Jesus say, come to me. Rest a while. I'd like to invite you to give yourself a half an hour this week. I know I can't send you out of here without something. Give yourself a half an hour of unproductivity. Give yourself 30 minutes that do not count. I don't care what you do. But don't let it matter what you do. I want to invite you to take 30 minutes and waste time in the presence of God. 30 minutes. God, would you give us a vision for a life that is unproductive, one that doesn't count, that can never be quantified, that nobody can see or recognize. Would you pry from our fingers any faulty assumptions about what is and is not spiritual. 
Show us what it looks like to sit with you. Amen.